I have a friend today. You guys can wave to him. It's all right. His, his name is Abe. And, uh, oh, good. I'm glad he still has all of his arms and legs because I wasn't sure if he'd make it that far. But Abe's going to help me out today, and we'll explain how. But there are a few things that are interesting about Abe. Um, if you're really paying attention to detail, you notice that Abe has six toes on one foot. He blames it on the manufacturer. I would agree. It probably was the manufacturer's point. But uh, he's my stick man. Okay? If I were drawing things, I would draw out a stick man. But because I don't have a whiteboard up here to draw on or anything like that, I just made a stick man. So, so you'll hear more about Abe as we go along. But I wanted to at least have somebody up here to point to at times when I talk about Abe and his story that we read about in the Bible. So, there you go. Now you've been introduced formally. You're welcome to talk to him. I just tell you, he probably will not talk back to you. Uh, You may have to talk to me instead. Um, We are in Romans, and if you're uh, visiting here today, you may think I'm a little crazy. That's okay. You'll understand that thought about me is probably true as we continue to move forward. But um, my passion is to teach God's Word, and explain it in a way that hopefully not only you understand, but sticks with you. And so um, I try to use props like this every once in a while to get a message across so you will remember at some point in time. Remember that story about Abe and what that meant for all the rest of us? Uh, I'm excited to, to be part of, of this church. You know, the stories I get to hear week after week from people is really encouraging. Um, I know people are inviting people to come to church. Sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. I know that you're sharing your faith out there because I hear about that, and that's that's awesome. And I rejoice with you. I pray with you uh, because those are great opportunities to go out into the community and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has put you in a specific place, right? He's put you in a uh, a workplace. Uh, He's put you in a neighborhood. He's put you in a family. And around you are unbelievers, and they, you are the light. You are the one shining the truth for them. So wherever God has put you, see that as your mission field and continue to go out there, live out your faith in front of people, and, and when given the opportunity, give an answer for the hope that you have in you about who Christ is. Um, so I'm excited to be part of a church that, that has that passion and desire. And we are going through Romans to better equip you so that when you have questions, you know where to go. And you know where to, to look uh, in God's Word and, and why it says what it says and, and be able to understand it and then also be able to explain it to other people because other people will have questions and there will be people that will never enter into the door of a church until they begin to understand their faith. They begin to understand what the Bible has to say. They begin to understand who God is. And then maybe they'll be receptive. And then they'll maybe be worshiping together. And so... Uh, just keep that in mind, that that's part of how we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we've been, in this series, we've been doing a, a text your question. And so uh, you are welcome throughout the, this morning's talk. If you would like to uh, text a question, we'll either get to it at the end here where we have about five minutes to respond, or uh, we'll get to it during the week. We, we do videos and we'll send them out on uh, on Thursday night at 6 o'clock. And so uh, we'll record those answers and get them out there if we can't get to them this morning. So that's the number. You might want to write that down or take a quick picture of it. 
<coughs> excuse me, because we will be getting um, getting to that at the end of the service. Well, we are going to be talking about Abe, and in the Bible, he's actually given the name Abram at the beginning, and later on, Abraham. But I just like the name Abe, at least for now. And then maybe uh, maybe we'll transition more to the name Abraham as time goes by. But some things you ought to know about Abraham, let's look at it. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, it says this, The Lord said to Abram, okay, so we're going back to the beginning, the first book in the Bible, which, by the way, is about the beginnings, creation. Uh, it talks about the beginning of how God started working with man one-on-one, and then how he started working through conscience, how he started working through a nation, and that nation was Israel, and the beginning of the nation, and so forth. Well, this is the beginning of the nation of Israel, starting with chapter 12. The Lord says to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he tells him, <coughs> excuse me, tells him to go out away from his family, right? And he says, I will do this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name, Abram, Abraham, I will make it great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham decided that was a pretty good deal. And he went, as the Lord told him, and Lot, who was his nephew, went with him. And Abram here, tells us, was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, you might know the story of Abraham already, or maybe you don't. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the background of Abraham as we move forward, because I think this is important for us to understand where we're at in the book of Romans. One of the the stories that Abraham is known for is all the way at the end of basically our recording of him, and that's when he has his son Isaac, and he goes to offer his son Isaac on the altar. And this is what it talks about. Hebrews 11 summarizes it for us. It says, by faith, Abraham... When he was tested, offer up Isaac, and he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. (coughs) Excuse me. Can I get uh, somebody to give me a water? I was doing great, and then been battling this cold and got up here, and now I got this wonderful tickle. That's the way it usually happens, right? So uh, Abraham, (coughs) when he was tested, offer up Isaac, he received the promises. So the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. This is the one he's offering up. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. So Hebrews summarizes that whole story at the end where he says, Abraham took Isaac up and was about to sacrifice him. Now, we read that story, I read that story, and I start to think, man, that is, is hard. I am, I'm glad, thank you, I'm glad that, that God did not ask me to be Abraham. Abraham has his own story, right? Uh, and Abraham had a story that was written down, recorded for us, and has been a great story for us to be able to use. But Abraham's story is not our story. And I'm grateful for that. We have a different story. And our faith is supposed to be in something else. And so we're going to talk about that as we move forward. But first I want to give you a different um, 
different synopsis, give you a little bit more story about Abraham and his background, and give you a, a drawing here just to kind of show that where we hear about Abraham first is in chapter 12 when he leaves Haran and goes to uh, a far-off land, and he has this covenant with God, this agreement with God, and then all the way to sacrif- the sacrifice of Isaac. In the middle, there are a lot of other things that happen. So one thing that you see is that Abraham, while he did this great thing at the end of his life, had some other things along the way that maybe weren't so, so great. So Abraham, I call him Abe, one of the reasons why is because apparently Abraham had an incredibly good-looking wife. So we call her Abe's babe, okay? That's the way you can remember it. Sarah was his wife, and, and Sarah apparently was like a supermodel because when she was 65 years old, they go to Egypt, and as they go into Egypt, Abraham comes to Sarah and says, Sarah, you are, are so attractive that I know Pharaoh is going to want to add you to his collection of wives. And so why don't you just go ahead and play with me on this, and, and you say that you're my sister, which is like a half-truth, but at the same time, it was also very deceptive. You go ahead and say that you're my sister, and then he won't kill me to get to you. What, what a great guy, right? That sounds like a great plan. So, um, so that's kind of how it went. And, and, and he, when they went into Egypt, sure enough, Pharaoh saw Sarah, said, that's Abe's babe. I'm going to take her. And, and he does. He takes her into his, his palace and adds her to the collection of wives that he already had. And then God actually intervenes and saves Sarah from that whole mess. And, uh, and it, it becomes known that actually Sarah was Abraham's wife. God saved that. Now, that's one time. Interestingly enough, when Abraham was closer to like uh, 100 years old, and his wife was 90, it happened again. A very similar situation. So apparently Sarah didn't age much from 65 to 90 as well. And, and she was still um, almost the exact same, exact same story, exact same scenario. What I want to point out is that was kind of at the beginning. The first time was at the beginning of Abraham's life. Or not his life, but, but when God called him and made this covenant. And then as you kind of get over to, I don't know, about where the... F is or so. That's, that's what it happened the second time. So, so he's still kind of learning to trust God in this process. But then when you finally get to the sacrifice of Isaac, he's willing to take his son, his only son, and offer him on an altar. That's crazy to me. A lot of the other stories are crazy too. In fact, there's another story where he was about halfway along and his wife comes and says, I know God promised you, you know, all these, all these descendants and I haven't been able to give you a child yet. So, um, why don't you have a child through my servant, Hagar? And Abe's like, sure, why not? So he, he has a, a child with Hagar. Well, that child becomes Ishmael. And then there was another issue because now Sarah was jealous of Hagar and, and there was all kinds of problems. And God said, Ishmael's not the one that I chose. This was not my plan. This was your own doing. And so it creates an issue. Even today, they're still, as the Israelites are still struggling with Ishmael's descendants. Because we know the Israelites, as those who are descendant of, of Isaac 
and the Muslims are descendants of Ishmael. And there's still a lot of battle. The Palestinians, a lot of, they'll trace it back to Ishmael. So there's a lot of battle, a lot of fighting still to this day. Because at one point, Abraham decided to take matters into his own hand. So you see, in this, this span of time, there's a lot of different things that happen. And what I want to focus on is that offering of Isaac, because at that moment, at some point, as his faith grew, he understood as he was about to sacrifice his son, that God was going to fulfill his promise and make him into a great nation. But he was going to do it without Abraham's help. Abraham knew at that moment that if he killed his son, one of two things would have to happen. One, God would have to give him a son, which he knew he could not produce. It's already been proven to him. hundred years of his life has gone by. He was not able to produce an heir through Sarah. It was only by the grace of God that that happened. And if he were to kill his son now, he knows that if, if, if God said, I'm going to make Isaac into a great nation, that something miraculous was going to have to happen, and it wasn't something that Abraham could do, and that was raise his son back from the dead. And the author of Hebrews picks up on that, and that's why he says that. If you go back here, he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. He's speaking about Abraham. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking, as though he had actually killed him. Well, God actually stopped him from killing his son and says, okay, now I know that you're a righteous man. Now I know that you'll listen to me. Now I know that you'll follow through. I think the story is interesting. I think it's fascinating. But I, I don't think I ever really focused on that side of it, that Abraham knew at that moment that only God could continue the line if he were to actually kill his son. And that helps us as we look at Romans chapter 4 because one of the things that we have to understand and one of the things we have to, to, to wrestle with is this idea of, does God, does God really love me because I've done something good? Or does God just love me? Does God just forgive me because he's God and he decided to? Is there something I've done to earn my salvation? Or am I just completely dependent on the work of Jesus Christ? And for many years... Religions have come up where people are trying to, to save themselves and reunite themselves to a great and mighty God. But the reality is, no one can save themselves. It's only by the work of Jesus Christ. You see, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We're told that all the way back in Genesis, this is not a new teaching. That's how he was saved, is because he believed the Lord. <coughs> and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, let's start in Romans chapter 4. We're picking up, and we've already established that both the Jews and the Gentiles are both sinners because of what they have done, because of the fact that they were even born, they're sinners. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. Okay, well, that's something that's already been established up to this point. We've even established the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one that can justify. Jesus Christ is the one who can s declare people righteous. Jesus Christ is the propitiation or the, the sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Only Jesus Christ. What then will we say 
that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if Abraham had got to a point, and here's, here's Abe, and he's talking about his story, and he's like, man, listen to me, look at what I did. I, I took my son, I bound him up, and I laid him on an altar, and it's because of that that God loves me. Abraham could have kind of patted himself on the back a little bit and said, I was willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? And all of us would probably be like, probably not. But Abraham's not boasting about that because the only person he could boast about that to is really to God. And God's like, that's not really why I saved you. That's not really why you have life with me. That's not why we have this relationship. You could boast about all you want, but that's not how it works. But oftentimes that's how we kind of live our lives. Look at what I've done, God. Look at what I've done for you. Right? How, how do we boast? We can't boast about ourselves before God because God's so holy. And when he comes to this world, he even says that. He's walking upon the earth and he says, you guys, you guys talk about adultery. Adultery's bad, but I tell you, even lusting, lusting after a person is evil in God's eyes. You guys talk about murder. Murder's bad, you bet. But, but I, even hatred, hatred is just like murder in God's eyes. Wow. How can we boast about who we are? For what does Scripture actually say? It says Abraham believed God. He believed the words of God. He believed what God had said. He believed that God would, would still make him into a great nation, even as he was sacrificing his son and it was credited to him for righteousness. He knew he couldn't raise his son up from the dead. He knew he couldn't produce another offspring. And so he believed God at that moment. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. So he goes back into a work relationship and he says, it's really clear, right? If you go out and you have a job, at the end of the day, you expect to get paid or the end of the week, or two weeks, or however it works for you. You expect that. But he says this is completely different. You are given a gift, and it's not something that is owed to you, but to those, or excuse me, to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. So, so Abe over here has learned, as he's about to sacrifice his son, that God is the one who's going to continue the line along. And for you and I, we make that application, and we learn that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it's not by our works that we're saved, it's by the work of Jesus Christ. Starting to see the connection and why he uses Abraham as an example for us? He goes on, he says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from the work, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. So I want to make this point this morning. Faith is both an action and a noun. And when you choose to trust Jesus over your own works, you then possess faith. Now, here's what I mean by that. Faith as an action. Choosing to believe what God says, even through the most difficult and uncertain times, is faith in action. You and I are going to go through our lives, and there are going to be times that pop up, and we're going to have to make a choice. Now, first of all, you have to make the choice to follow Christ at the beginning. There's somewhere along the way you realize, okay, I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven of my sins, and I believe Jesus Christ suffered 
bled, died on the cross for that. That's the first choice. And then you have to continue to even, you know, just, just believe and rest in that. And that's what we're talking about here. Even to the church in Romans, he talks to them and he says, listen, you guys are sometimes arguing back and forth and the Jews are saying, hey, we're more worthy of our faith. And the Gentiles are kind of like saying, hey, we're more worthy of our faith. And the Jews point out, look at us and look at our history, look at our background, look at why God loves us maybe more than you do. And the Gentiles are like, but you guys rejected God. And you can just kind of see this back and forth. And so both, Paul is appealing to both. He says, both you guys need to keep your faith. He says that several times in Scripture to the churches as he writes to them. Keep your faith. Keep it in Christ. Don't start boasting about your own works. Boast about the work of Christ. And that's what Luke had talked about last week. He's the one to boast about, not our own selves. We talked about in chapter 1, people are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. I've seen Christians actually post or write about this or talk about this like all the unbelievers out there and like, look at them. But you know what he does in chapter 2? He says, you guys are all this way too. The reality is every single one of us is a sinner And every single one of us needs to be forgiven and deal with that sin. How do you deal with sin? And so for many years, we had all kinds of different faiths pop up, and they'll start talking about some of these things. So I just just took a few of them, and I want to show you guys. Like, here's the the unloving one. He mentions that one kind of at the end, right? And and unloving, it's kind of like when when you get, um, well, let me first ask this. What, What gets in the way? of love and mercy for us. Pride, our time, things can be inconvenient. Have you ever found that when you love somebody well, you have to kind of love them on their timetable? They're really inconvenient, right? And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes when you love somebody, uh, you have to the sacrifice, yes, and sometimes they don't appreciate it. And they don't respond the way you hope that they might even respond. And so we tend to sometimes close up and not be so loving and merciful. And he calls that out on us. So we might be unloving. We might be unmerciful. He talks about greed in here. Making money, materialism, those things in life that we think will make us happy at the moment. We see billboards of it as we drive down the road. We see it on the TV all the time. We see it on our, our, our social apps and so forth. And they're popping up like, here, this is what you need. This will make you happy. So we want more, more, and more. Could even be food. Could be addictions. Could be all kinds of different things that we want 
just to make us feel better. Talks about arrogance. He actually says God haters in here. Now, that seems a little bit strong, but when you really think about it, arrogance is kind of the idea of, of well, well, I just know a little bit better. And so, I don't know, have you ever been in a situation where you think, man, if God just did it my way, things would be better. If God just, God just listened to, to, to me in this situation and did according to my prayer, boy, the world would get a little bit better. At least my world would get a little bit better. So there's, there's that arrogance that we have at times. And we carry that around with us as well. He talks about envy in here when we see what other people have. When I grew up, they, they used the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses. I've heard people today say it's more of an idea of outdoing the Joneses. Uh, there's probably some truth to that. Uh, with social media, there's always, what's the neighbor doing down the road? Boy, they look happy. Then you look at your own family and you're like, how come we don't look like that? We envy those situations. We envy what they have, their possessions, and, and those types of things. Envy is one we tend to carry around. Gossip. What's, uh, what better way to feel better about yourself than start gossiping about other people, right? We can start tearing down other people or start sharing about them and what they're doing and what their life looks like, things that other people don't need to know, things that actually tear other people down. That's, that's kind of gossip, and we can do that as well. How about sexual immorality? That one wasn't in the list because before that he spent several verses in chapter 1 talking about sexual immorality. And this basically defines our culture today, right? It's everywhere. Pornography is running rampant. Adultery, fornication. People uh, hooking up before they get married to test to see if they're compatible sexually. Um. All types of things like that, just, to, to, just because this is our world. We live in this. And then we got all kinds of, of gender identity issues, orientation, confusion, all types of things. Because our world is so wrapped up in sexual immorality. Well, that's just a few. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do people deal with that? If this is just your average guy walking down the street and he's dealing with one of these or maybe five of them or maybe all of them, who knows, and he's starting to think, okay, I see some of the issues with these, he can do one, ignore it completely, right? Well, it's not, really not that bad. It's really not that big of a deal. Or he could start to say to himself, I'm going to deal with some of these things and I'm going to start to, to take them off and, and I'm going to, to, to work on them. And so he tries to go out and find different ways to deal with these, these issues. I'll read up on sexual immorality. I'll figure out what I need to do to stop that. I'll read up on what arrogance and, and then there's envy, there's gossip, there's those types of things. I think I could, I could probably start to distance myself away from that. But the problem is when you start to do it on your own, you start to take the credit for it. Well, we read in this passage, the one who does not 
work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous. His faith is credited for righteousness. Both believes and faith are a very similar word except for this main difference. The believes is an action. The faith is a noun. When you believe, you're placing your faith in Christ who is the righteous one. And once you believe and place your faith in the righteous one, you then possess faith. That's why he says at the end here, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin because they possess that faith. By choice, you possess the truth that you are forgiven and declared righteous through faith in Christ, even through the most difficult and uncertain times. So even when those times do arise, you always go back to your faith. This is what I have. This is what Christ has given to me. And it's assured. I have it. It's there with me. And when those thoughts pop up, when those temptations pop up, hey, this is a sin I'm struggling with. This is something I'm having a problem with. I can continue to go back and say, I know that I'm not good enough, but I know that Christ is good enough on my behalf. I know that he died on the cross. He rose from the dead and he gave me eternal life. And you have that confidence because it rests not in your own works, but in the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about faith as both a noun and an action. So when you place your faith in Christ, instead of trying to deal with this on your own, you can just simply take it and give it to him. And we're told very clearly in Scripture, he's the one that died on the cross for our sins. And the wrath of God was then poured out on him so that he could then come and do something crazy. He can declare us righteous. And that's what we possess, is righteousness, because of the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've done that, but you're going to have an opportunity to do that today. It's an exchange that takes place. You and I deserved to to be the one on the cross for our sins and, and receive the wrath of God. But by grace, he chose to pay the price for us. And then he chose to give us his righteousness and take our sin upon himself. It's an amazing thing. Unfortunately, for a lot of us who maybe have known that for, for many years, we still struggle with trying to fix ourselves, don't we? And we've got to just rest and leave those things at the foot of the cross. So I'm even going to invite you, we're going to do our question time, uh, but I want to invite you to even answer that or to come up and, and, and maybe write down something and put it at the foot of the cross and say, this is something I'm struggling with. I'm going to do that this morning. It's up to you if you want to do that. Uh, we'll do that as we close in a song here at the end. But be thinking about that. Is there something that you're just struggling with and you keep fighting and you keep trying to fix it on your own and you just need to say, God, this is an area of my life I just need to give up and ask for forgiveness and allow you to work and allow you to forgive and just lay it at the foot of the cross. So we're going to ask you to do that today. Be thinking about that um, and then we'll, we'll take some questions at this point. So we have some questions that came in.
Or has it been a quiet morning? All right, pretty quiet. Everybody's still looking at Abe, so. <clears throat> okay, we got one. Okay, um, this is more of like, oh, they're rolling in. All right. Um, this is more of a timetable thing. So okay. So if you could clarify. Uh, Abraham was saved by faith. Did this happen at the point of time when God called him out of Ur or when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice? Uh, how, okay. how, how well do you know your, <laughs> your well, events? Well, I think <clears throat> I'm going to get really theological on you here, so um, just kind of stay with me. Um, when you look at, from God's point of view, God steps outside of time. And oftentimes we want to know like this exact moment. So what would happen, we play a lot of scenarios, what would happen if he had died before he sacrificed Abraham or sacrificed Isaac? But the reality is, in, in God's plan, that doesn't happen. So from God's point of view, a person is saved before they're even born, in a sense, because he's outside of time. From our point of view, we've we got to look at it and say, okay, this is the time they placed their faith. So I know when I placed my faith in Christ... But because from God's point of view, he's looking back and he's like, okay, I saw that 4,000 years ago, if you want. And so I think sometimes when we try to answer those questions, we're looking from our point of view and we're saying, okay, where in that timeline did he get saved? And God's like, well, he's always been saved. Because from his point of view, that's, you know, he he's looks at it before he was born, he knew where he was at. So, so I think theologically speaking, um, that's the answer as far as when in time exactly. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. He didn't give us a conversion story. Okay. Um, maybe it was, I mean, if I were to be pressed upon it, I'd probably say when he answered the call and left around and made that covenant at that point. But, yeah. So, I don't know. All right. that, That's great. No, that works. Okay. Uh, love it. Yeah. So, how does someone know if they have enough faith to believe? And what if our motivation is out of desperation because things are tough right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, boy, Jesus, what did he say? You can have faith as a mustard seed. Um, it doesn't take a large amount of faith. It just takes faith. And, and, and faith in knowing that Jesus Christ did this for you if you start measuring your faith, then actually you're kind of getting towards the idea of works yeah. at that point. Yeah. And you're starting to say, okay, do I have a, a measure of faith and enough faith in order to be saved? And the reality is we just rest in the knowledge that Christ has suffered, blood, and died on the cross on our behalf. Yeah. And it's not how much you believe that. It's just that you believe that. Yeah. Um, a, a good example is um, here's, a, here's a chair Luke, this is a fantastic stool. I guarantee you, if you stand and jump on it, it will hold you up. You can sit on it. Um, now, what would you say to me? Like, okay, prove it. Like, you prove it. You prove that it'll hold me up. Yeah. I need to come and, and, and prove it and be like, okay, see, I believe. I believe what I say. Um, that's the idea of, of faith is that you don't just talk about it like, well, I believe Jesus died on the cross. It just doesn't apply to me. You say, no, I believe Jesus died on the cross, and it applies to me. It applies. That's, that's the solution for my sin. Um, so it's not just talk. It's you actually 
believe that, yeah. I think is the only answer, not measuring. So it. something, I don't know if I could interject a little bit sure. too, something that came to my mind when I read this question uh, is particularly the part about desperation with things being tough right now. Uh, I, I think many times when your faith remains constant, even through those difficult times, yeah. uh, and you come out on the other side of it, uh, and, and your faith is still in Christ, you're still pursuing God, you still rest in him and hope in him, that, that seems to indicate a genuine faith too. Yeah. Um, and I think, is it First John that talks a little bit about that as well, but um, genuine faith. So, yeah. Yep. And going back, maybe some of that question comes from, well, look at what Abraham did, offered his son Isaac. What, mm-hmm. if, he get, what if God asked us to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I tried to say at the beginning, that was Abraham's story. Your story, my story is completely different. Yeah. God is not asking us to sacrifice our children like that. Yeah. And, and if you think God is doing that, um, get help. <laughs> okay, yeah. so that, that's not what he's asking you to do. He's asking you to have faith in Christ and the work that Christ has done. And that's a different, um, different faith. And he knows, he knows how much you can handle. Yeah. And oftentimes it's more than you think you can handle. And now we're getting really collaborative here because someone just texted, the Father gives us the faith to believe. So, I mean, there's that piece as well. <laughs> sure. That yeah. uh, we're dead yeah. in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive. Uh, and so, yeah, absolutely. So the faith itself is a gift. Yep. given to us. Uh, we don't have time for more, but the, sure. we had several roll in. Roll, more roll um, in. So I'll, I'll read okay. them real quick, and we'll hit them this week. Um, so this one's related to prayer. So during prayer, um, and you're admitting your faults, how do you admit your faults? So what does that prayer look like? So okay. we can talk a little That's bit great. about yeah. that. Uh, and then another one came in. I'm just reading this off the cuff here. Is, is forgiveness the entire point and goal of Christianity, or is it just the beginning point to salvation, which defined by John 17, 3, which is knowing the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ? Why is the knowing Jesus and the discipleship uh, seem to be secondary in importance? So yeah. we'll, uh, we'll try to dissect that a little bit more um, yeah. and, uh, and understand the question. Yeah, yeah. and then we'll, uh, we'll hit it this Thursday. So, yeah. all right. That's great. That's all right, cool. Well, yeah, those would be good discussion points, and we can go through. Um, that second question really is a question of, you know, there's justification and then sanctification, the growing in our faith. And, and so we can uh, kind of uh, tackle that a little bit. So I want to give you a time to respond. I know that's kind of how we close things off here. So just as uh, the worship team will come up, and I think they're going to just play through uh, a bit of the song and, and have some music and so forth going in the background. But if you would like to respond in any way, uh, you are welcome to. I know we do, we do this at times like at uh, Christmas, well, not Christmas Eve. We do it at a Good Friday service where we invite people. If there's just something they want to do, it, it's an act for us to just kind of come up and say, hey, I believe that God has forgiven me of my sin. And this is an area where I even, I even struggle and so I've just got some paper down here if you want to. You can come up and do that, um, and, and that's totally optional for you. It's, it's not that it's going to make your faith more sincere or it's not going to secure your faith or any of those things. It's just more of an act for you to remember that, yes, I am laying this at the foot of the cross, and I am trusting the work of Jesus Christ in this area that I continue maybe to struggle in or just continue to have a hard time letting go. And so we want to invite you to do that uh, here. And, and I'll, I'll start it by just writing some, some for me. And then uh, you're welcome to come and join if you'd like to. So.
There we go. As we close our service, we want to thank you for coming.